there's Johnny. It's the Sopranos Podcast, Season 5, Episode 3, Self-Help. Don't you love me? That's a quote from Tony Soprano in this Season 5, Episode 3 of The Sopranos, entitled Where's Johnny? Written by Michael Calio, directed by John Patterson. Hope I said Calio right, because he wrote a hell of an episode. Uh, I said at the end of last episode, guys, that I wasn't looking forward to this one. And I want to be clear, I I wasn't looking forward to it because there aren't a myriad of moments that are funny and enjoyable. It just, I don't like the way this episode makes me feel, particularly the Junior storyline. I don't like seeing older characters that you love start to slip away into this kind of dementia and memory loss it's very sad, but still a bang-up hour of television. Season 5 is on a hell of a roll. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. What do you guys think? Where's Johnny? First impressions, initial thoughts. I loved this episode. Yeah. This is completely explosive. And listen, we've gotten to see a little bit of the class of 04. Mm. Now we're seeing more of them, and these are, wow, Explosive personalities who do dynamite, explosive things to the existing landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I have been looking forward to seeing more from Feach, from Phil Leotardo, from Lorraine. All these characters that are kind of new to us, new to the show. They're ama- The energy level it just it comes up so much from them. Yes, and that is a nice balance because the other part of this episode, particularly involving Junior, is very sad. Right. And I think the the writers here and the performances, they do a nice job of, of giving us an episode that is both, that is uh, fun and has big energy and is kind of gross with its level of energy yeah. in ways. <laughs> uh, and then gives us something that is um, softer and sad and very melancholy with, with Junior. To your point, Jordan, it shows that they've done a very good job of quickly establishing a baseline of of the class of 04 because instantly when Paulie and Feech are put in an adversarial position, I'm like, yes, please. Oh Let's see these two. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. I think I said to Chris when we were talking about recording that I considered this episode, the show at its tragic comic best. And I think it's that balance that Jordan was talking about between these moments that are very funny, even goofy and uh, moments that are, life and death moments that are brutal very sad um the 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 storyline with salvitro is gnarly and <laughs> and mean uh mean yeah it's really it's it's really quite something and uh i i, I agree with jordan i love this episode again in spite of how gross it sometimes makes me feel because there are other moments where it ratchets up it's exciting and or it's really funny um, the storyline that brings up once again this resentment with Tony and Junior seems to have a parallel in the New York war between an, a younger man and an older man, except in, in that case, it's the younger man, Carmine Junior, who really seems in over his head, whereas mm. Junior seemed in over his head in the conflict with Tony. But so much insecurity related to everybody comes up. And again, I think it's something else where The Sopranos is different. It's special. If this were any other show, the fireworks of a of a war in New York would be the linchpin. But it's this resentment between these two gangsters in Jersey that's really the juice in this episode. 
that also brings up another big theme, which is Tony and his mother and how he can't let it go. That comes up as well. This episode is really, I think, about connecting with a lost past, um, even down to the title, which, as Chris referenced right at the beginning, is a play on the old late show with the late night show with Johnny Carson opening. Here's Johnny. So all this adds up to a dynamic hour. It goes by like that. Um, mm. And almost uncharacteristic for The Sopranos, typically a slow burn. I feel like this is ratcheting up early. Yeah. I agree. It has like that big end of season energy in the front of the season, which is really throwing me. Um, I've said in our previous episodes and in even other seasons, it's a show that I continually don't know how to watch because every show before and since still kind of does the same thing in terms of like, okay, here's a series of establishing episodes. We're going to introduce some themes middle of the season. Here's some episodes where we're, um, you know, deepening those themes. We're exploring some things. We're, you know, exploring side plots. We ratchet up at the end. We do the big finale. And a lot of shows, yeah, also have one episode of falling action. This show just does what it wants. It's really incredible. Yeah. Incredible that they not only do it, but make it work so well. It's not like they're experimenting and, oh, that was a nice try. But no, they fucking hit a home run nine times out of nine, actually. I don't know what I was going to say. Nine out of ten. It's basically all the time. They very rarely flop. So, yeah, this is this is good shit. This is good shit. And um, I like seeing, let's just go from the top here. Tony B is picking up linens at the Bing or dropping off linens and... What a line for Tony to say. It's hard seeing you like oh, this. Oh, Mr. Clean. <laughs> it, Tony just, it, it's just sad how much Tony fundamentally looks down. And I think this is a gangster thing in general. They talk about this a little bit in Goodfellas. They just look down on the working man. You know, those people who show up to their jobs from nine to five are dead uh, and take the subway to work. That's like Henry Hill and Goodfellas. It's kind of the same thing, Tony. Like, Tony's sad looking at this guy who's out of prison doing exactly what he should be doing. Yeah. W- working down a a, a, a low-skill job until he can save up and pay for his massage license. That's, you know, he, Tony should be happy for Tony B, but he can't bring himself to, you know, he just sees the lost potential. Sure. It also limits what, it, it also limits what Tony could do to help. Right. In his way and and to actualize himself, which he usually does with his money or power of influence. Right. Yeah. What's Tony going to do? Get him $16 an hour? Right. <laughs> yeah. The extra salt in this wound is, of course, as we've learned in the first uh, couple of episodes, is that we don't know the specifics, but something went down where Tony could have been the one that went to prison and not Tony B. Right. And, uh, you know, mm. he, he is we're seeing more of that guilt, too. So I hate to see you like this. It's yeah, it's of course, it's as a working man, as a civilian, uh, not part of this thing. But also, I hate to see you like this, meaning uh, I feel like maybe I helped to put you there in this. You know? And, I, and I'm, right. I'm helpless to bring you back. And we finally get a few more details on this. It was some kind of robbery. Tony was supposed to be there uh, and got jumped, busted his head open, missed the job. And Tony B went away. Could have just as easily been me. And uh, I really like this uh, <laughs> this line where uh, Tony B implies how lucky Tony is. He's like, well, that's not always the case. I have other sorrows in my life. And then he <laughs> references Georgie <laughs> or Georgie, the punching bag, who always this actor who plays Georgie does such a good job of 
giving the, the like, huh? What? Like, she's just <laughs> not. It, it's just, what do you mean? What, what's everyone talking about? He, he's got a great who me face. He's great. It's really awesome. Yeah, he's he's very funny. Georgie very early in the show was a parallel for Tony's mother mm. and how much she bothered him with her difficulty with working the phone and all that. And again, Tony's mother comes up here. She's dead and gone, but the old wounds are still there. Mm-hmm. Mm. The sorrows in one's life. Cut to Tony being Feach and uh they're having uh they're driving around and Feach is convertible and stick with me kid i have eaten lunch like that every day <laughs> the bakery and the massage parlor you gotta have a job like that for appearances they're chatting the subject tony comes up and feature uh, we get a, a good sense of where feature's at with all this oh yes the boy king interesting line and i speak frankly with you about him and then they come up on sal vitro landscaping he feature sees it i gotta make a stop oh okay Tony B hanging back. The scene ends with horrific violence as Feach Lamana tells him that his, uh, what is it, his uh, nephew Gary Lamana is in charge of this neighborhood. Tells him once. Guy says, no. (laughs) Are you deaf? I said, you don't work this neighborhood. Fuck off. You want me to fuck off? And he loses it. Robert Loja in full Robert Loja mode. How about I fuck off all over your stupid fucking face, you fucking mutt? And pounding him, grabs him by the dick, drags him to the curb, and breaks his arm. He, <laughs> Tony B, just like, feature on parole. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. Uh, interesting early development here. We get to see Feach. This is Feach. Here we go. Class of 04 is out and ready. So I must... Uh you know, take back what I said about that story about him in prison not being true. Clearly, he did indeed find the biggest, blackest guy and try to beat him up on the first day. (laughs) So those are not empty words. He is, in fact, a maniac. Yeah, Feech is unhinged. Unhinged. Last episode, Jordan referenced how Feech, quote, hitting the ground running seemed to have this somewhat worrying Richie April energy. Yeah. Richie April comes up again for me in this unhinged case, also an unforced error. Like this did not need to go down this way. This is a guy again on parole. This is a problem. And uh, it it is, it's pretty, it is shocking. It's funny in a weird way. It's brutal violence. This is a compound fracture. It's a gardener with a fucking busted arm. And again, like insecurity. Like, a guy just tells you to fuck off and you beat him, like, half to death. And the insecurity of these supposed tough guys throughout this episode is going to complicate these storylines. Right. And to the Richie April comparison, episode three of season two, Richie April brutalizes a working class guy who, <laughs> Beansy, breaks a coffee pot over his head and then paralyzes him. And then later in that episode, they injured their, their their injuries visible as a gangster goes to visit them, tells them, you know, makes some implication about going to the cops. And the gangster's like, hey, oh, we do our own. Th-. It's the same. So this is a cycle repeating. And I don't think it's by accident. So For that's sure. a very interesting. It's interesting that Richie April keeps coming up here with, yeah. uh, with this. Uh, I think I would rather have my arm broken than have a gangster grab me by the dick like that. That's uh, that 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 made me go, oof. Even more than the broken arm. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was. It's 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 brutal. And the show, 
Uh, in this episode, I think shows us a little bit that it is going to be more willing to be uh, more violent more often, right? Mm. Season four famously was sort of less violent until the Ralph Cifaretto murder, right? Mm. Season five kind of right out of the box is like, no, nah, we're going to do crazy shit now. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's an escalating war kind of feeling yeah. and and. We're in the opening throes of something that's going to be big. This is cool. Yeah, I agree with you. And in fact, both of these violent scenes happen fairly early mm-hmm. in this episode. So it's right off the bat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then this scene, which uh, you got to laugh at this next scene, even though it's the beginning of a very sad stretch of episode. Uh, Junior watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. First of all, he finally has cable. That's always been a, a running kind of gag on the show <laughs> is that Junior never had cable. He's flipping through and Curb Your Enthusiasm, great episode, excuse me, great episode, The Doll, for you Curb fans out there, really a Curb classic. But, oh my God, whoever's idea this was, somebody had to have been watching Curb, smoking a joint and saying, oh, you know, you squint your eyes, it kind of looks like Junior and Bobby. <laughs> and, and, you know, it of course, Jeff Garland, yeah, Jeff Garland and Larry David, uh, and Junior thinks he's watching footage from his trial, is that Bobby, the fuck? And he's legitimately confused. This isn't a joke or no, he's legitimately like, what, what am I watching here? Right. Back of the Bing, Tony has a meeting with Bobby. This is a classic underling visits the boss and wants more responsibility scene. Bobby wants more responsibility. He spent 45 minutes at Rite Aid waiting for stool softener. This is a guy who is at a point in his career where that kind of task might seem like he's not moving anywhere. Tony hears what he's saying, but says it's, believe it or not, it's important to me that he's taken care of, and he really only trusts Bobby with this. Uh, but Tony ends the scene with, let me see what I can do for you. Maybe we'll add more more pickups, something like that. Did you guys notice Bobby's shirt? I thought Bobby's shirt kind of looked like a Tony shirt. Mm. And I thought maybe Bobby wore it to this meeting to, I'm going to be taken seriously. Well, um, don't forget who was... Don't forget the hand behind this this visit. Bobby mm-hmm. probably might not have gone to Tony on his own. This oh, is Janice, Janice. Yeah. Mm. needling yeah. Bobby. So a lot of this is probably orchestrated and thought out. And, you know, maybe she picked out his shirt for him that day. Good point. You, you right. Can never, who the hell knows? So in the missing scene, do we think Bobby is venting his frustrations to Janice? And she says, well, you got to make this right. Or is it the other way where Janice says, you can't just be looking after my uncle all the time. You need to be one of the point men, you know. If I had to guess, it would be that. Yeah. Janice is okay. always the one to incent- try to incentivize the person she's with to make more money, higher status, work the work my brother. She was doing it with Richie. We were just talking about Richie April in it was a more adversarial thing there, but that's what that's what Janice does. You could be doing you could be making more money. I want my husband to be of higher status in this thing. Sure. So that would be my, that would be my bet. Okay. Yep. Uh, I, I don't, I, you know, I also, yeah, Bobby's a human being, but I don't know that he would complain to Janice, especially if she's prone to depression and already having problems with the kids uh, and laying in bed all day, but that's all going to come back later. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that Tony is offering Bobby marriage advice here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As if he's, yeah. As if he's the one to be giving any kind of marriage advice, but anyway, Next scene, Paulie with his mother. I'll take that any day. And uh, Aunt Mary, who we come to find out is like Paulie's aunt, or maybe just an older woman that Nucci's friends with that he calls Aunt Mary. Who knows? Where did they find this woman? Great casting. She's so perfect. Great casting. 
Yeah. Well, when uh, when you have like women like Polly's mom or Polly's, I suppose, aunt in this scene, um, they're basically not even acting. They're they just are these people. Yeah. It, dude, it's almost like the location team found this house that this old lady lived in and just said, Yeah, you want to be in the episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's I that's mean, how amazing. believable she was. Yeah. But this poor Mr. Vitro, uh, somebody beat him up. Paulie's mom loves Salvitro, and so we know how that's going to go already. I love Paulie saying she's the belle of the ball over there because we saw how Paulie got that to happen yeah. last season. So we know what the lengths Paul Paulie will go to to please his mother. <laughs> yeah. Eat your scones. I'll straighten it out. Paulie's on it. Paulie's on the case. And here we go. More Class of 04 popping off. This is uh, the one of the class of 04 we've had the least of so far. And I'll say this. Enter Phil Leotardo. He has arrived. Lorraine Caluso shows up. We met her in the last episode, Rat Pack, to make a collection at a bar she's shaken down. Uh, she thinks she's being shorted, and she does drop a, uh, a racial slur here, the, the big N-word. And uh, I actually think that's... We don't know too much about these characters, and we don't have enough time to develop all of these New York personalities as quickly as we need to. So I actually thought this was a smart move, making her say something so appalling to the audience, because she's about to be brutalized in a minute, and it might have been a little harder to take had we not seen that, oh, she's a piece of shit. So yeah, let's see how this goes. Right. Uh, <laughs> not uh, anything I'm going to spoil, but something I'd like for us to track because it it makes sense to me even from what we saw uh in the last few episodes and the previous season um the way the new york gangsters are characterized um they are tougher and they yes. are meaner than the jersey guys on the whole uh yes it seems to be what we're getting from them and i'm kind of now including johnny sack in that yeah i think they the, are the a not... lot of them it's like new york is meaner that is big league mean yeah you're not wrong it, that's even and they're very smart about it too because like i said it's a show about tony and his crew these new york characters we can't spend a ton of time with them but even if you think back to season four the guys that were chasing Vic the appraiser around it's like yeah. two you know joey peeps and whatever goon he was with looked way nastier than Vito and whatever goon he was with like Vito could barely keep up with the chase he was huffing and puffing so I agree with you wholeheartedly. These New York guys are serious. They're tough. You do not fuck with the New York guys. That's right. that's very clear and deliberate. Well, it seems like up. Tony grocks that too, to some degree, because his view is like, we have to play this smart in order that we collect the quote crumbs from the fallout, mm. which ends up being really the only interaction that they have with Salvitro. Either they just get what they need, but Tony does get that. This is dangerous. We have to tread carefully uh take a step back be in the background um another thing in this episode is that and this has happened before on the sopranos power and powerlessness keep these weirdly close quarters because of the violence of this and unpredictability of this world because of one's own insecurities so as chris was saying one minute lorraine's dropping the n-word and just completely emasculating this bartender the next she's offering to suck these guys off um, there's a lot of stuff about like how I'll suck you off or do you sexual favors in essence for survival. There's another theme in this episode of very yeah, what, desperate terms of what love. The fuck. 
Um, I don't know what it is. I know that the last line in the episode is don't you love me? And the terms of love are very desperate. Hmm. So there's that. Uh, it's all it's all deliberately done. Th- this scene is brutal, but also really fucking funny. Yeah, it's a great scene. It's a hell of an introduction for a character. Matt, you know, if you're Frank Vincent and you're getting your scripts every couple weeks for the next episode and you're like, all right, slow roll. Uh, just my picture in the first one. I make a crack, uh, a punchline of a joke in the second episode. And then you get this scene. It's like, yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Phil Leotardo, his brother, Bill and Joey peeps are here to make a statement. They corner Lorraine. She, uh, notices they've come in. They, and, and Phil drops the line, Jordan. <laughs> How about this humidity? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, taper down to a chair. They take this Jason guy, get him down on the floor. <laughs> yeah. They, they're, they're. Warning her, they're yelling at her as they're taping her down. Two times you were told to kick up to Johnny Sack, but she's kicking up her money to little Carmine. So this New York Carmine Johnny thing is escalating. Then they he does this, uh, <laughs> well, there's this exchange like we just talked about where she offers to suck their cocks. I'll do anything. <laughs> suck her cocks? She any good? What am I asking you for? You probably showed her how. <laughs> it's <laughs> the so, so horrible, but it's so funny as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Frank Vincent is a master. He's really good at this. Just the 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 joy on his face while he's inflicting this is <laughs> he's fucking loving this. This is why Phil Leotardo comes to work. Yeah. This kind of shit. Uh he brings the phone book. By the way, what a what an awesome gangster thing to do, this phone book thing. What's what's also funny is we always talk on the show about the scene we don't see. They had to test this. Oh, Somebody yeah. is in a warehouse somewhere, like, how far would it get through with a 38 on a phone? All right, this is a great. Let's do this. Very cool. Only made it to the R. Uh, look at this, Joey. Only made it to the R's. He's <laughs> like acting surprised and whispers in her ear. Next time there'll be no next time. Gangster line. And yeah, that's it. Uh, I have nothing more to say about this except great scene, memorable, cool, great way to touch down on this New York storyline quickly. This is the first ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> and class of 04 is in full flight. Full flight indeed. We cut to this meeting with the fallout of this, which is uh Angelo Garepe, Lorraine meeting with Tony and Junior to try to settle this. It's getting out of hand. Uh I like I like Angelo. He seems like a nice guy. He's talking about going to the park with his grandson. Tony has to Cut him off. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, another hilarious thing that really got me this watch through. I've seen it before, but it really made me actually laugh out loud. When Junior just proudly says, I have cable. <laughs> he just looks He looks <laughs> so fucking proud of that fact. And they're meeting. It, you know, they, they're hashing this out. Carmine never named a successor. We always assumed it'd be John because Carmine was down in Florida. And uh, Jason interjects and Lorraine says Jason men are talking (laughs) very good and uh, they're hashing it out I love the beat right after this but Junior drops the line this is a callback to our pilot all I know is my nephew never had the makings of a varsity athlete your point being what Junior (laughs) that was Angelo's reply which is great Tony plays Uh, it off he plays it off well he's bothered but he's also like he's just busting balls or breaking balls or whatever but he's like that's not good yeah, yeah. And they're talking more and 
the idea of a power sharing situation comes up. The Sopranos have two bosses. Junior says that's not all it's cracked up to be, <laughs> which is let's not get into that right now. Yeah, yeah. okay, <laughs> which is true. But if Junior were in, had all his faculties, that might be something he might not say at this particular meeting. Not out Tony loud. And, yeah. Oh, right. Uh, but they're not noticing it. Um, sometimes they don't pay enough attention. Maybe it's partly how we ignore older people. Certainly the guy Tommy isn't making good reports about Tony's weird behavior until it's too late. Uh, Tony and Junior are framed in this scene in basically the same way, a mirror of how they're framed at the end. Parallel as opposed to facing each other, not quite able to connect. And Junior, like in that last scene, is also a bit blurry. Uh, Patterson does this shot perfectly. Tony is in the foreground. Um, all of his features are clear. Junior is slightly dimmer and blurred, just as he, his association to reality seems basically blurred. He's not all there. It's like, what is he saying? Where is he right yeah. now? Um, it's perfectly done. Yeah, Patterson's great. His episodes always have those special touches. Uh, there's a reason he's one of their go-tos. But the idea comes up for a triumvo, whatever. No major decisions made <laughs> except by a majority of three. Angelo's retired, but Tony sells him on it. You just weigh in if things get heavy. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes. But uh, that's 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 going to be picked up shortly. Cut to a bar. Salvatore Vitro is drowning his sorrows. Busted wing, black eye, looks terrible. Salvatore, my dolly. <laughs> Great line. The uh, really, really funny zingers in this line. Michael and Kaleo made, wrote a hell of a script. I love another fucking hilarious line. They let these fucks out of the can. Apparently, he wasn't rehabilitated. <laughs> <laughs> Paulie, another guy who has also served time, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I love that Paulie, who's like the resident maniac, like these guys are on <laughs> top of him in terms of just being fucking insane. It's just really cool to see the scale. <laughs> Salvatore mentions his wife and he are considering going to the cops. Hey, where are you from? Paulie makes him an offer. Hey, why don't you let me talk? I know the guy. Give, uh, give me a couple percent and I'll let you keep all your stops. Thank you, Paul. You'll know, get your stops back is what he prom promises him. So Sal's like, oh, really, Paulie? I'll take care of this. Sal seems guardedly optimistic here and decides to give Paulie the chance to, to take a look at this and, you know, give him his couple of percent. It might be worth it. And then we get Garrett, uh, Feech Lamana's bakery. Hey, the king of breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> Breadstick up your ass. <laughs> uh, I want to note that Feech asks Paulie, how's the kid? referring to Tony, which is an interesting way to refer to the boss, right? Yeah, this is now the second, or maybe even the third time he's referred to Tony's youth, which no one really does. Right, right. We're going to track this thread a couple beats in this episode. Yeah. Mm. Why, why is he complaining to you about shit? This feat stuff is also not ratcheting up all the way, but, but we're watching this, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. We had the same issue we... with Richie, where when Richie came out, he because Tony's younger than he's used to, I guess reporting to an older boss is what he's used to. Like they, they go to junior instead, which makes no sense. Mm. Right. And it's even worse now because at least in season two, junior still had a sharp mm. mental acuity. Whereas now it's right. like now Feech no. in his current condition with junior in his current condition is extra dangerous. Right. 
Paulie mentions this uh, Gary Lamana and Salvitro, his friend of my Aunt Mary's. Do me a favor, tell your nephew to back off. Feech sits back, processes that for a second. Essentially makes the point that's like, in a nutshell, who the fuck is Aunt Mary? Like, why should I tell right. my nephew to back back? It's a new venture he's in. And uh, he start, he gets fed up very quickly. Paulie says, what do you know about who belongs to what? You've been away 15 fucking years, which entitles me to earn, which entitles you to shit. In my book, you get points for staying out of the can, which is a hell of a <laughs> line. And then we're in full Robert Loggia growl. Good thing for me, then. That's your book, Tommy no guts to me. What's yours is yours, Paulie, but what ain't is anybody else's. Now do yourself a fucking favor and get the fuck out of my store. <laughs> you do a great feature, Chris. You do a great he's feature. Yeah. He's, he's, he's my favorite. He's my favorite. And uh, Paulie stands up. We know these characters, at least certainly Paulie. He's, this is not over. This is... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he also appealed to, I think, this insecurity because he made reference to, I think, the sports book that Polly essentially runs and how this guy was going to bring action to Feech and Polly immediately gets frustrated. He says, that guy's my customer for years now. Mm. And it's so this back and forth about territory, about insecurity, Feech playing on the fact that he don't belong to nobody, all that stuff. And also basically shows us what we're going to understand more fully by the end of this. Polly isn't in this as an altruist. He's in this... <laughs> as the scorpion to the frog like anybody else he's gonna pocket part of this money he's in it for his own gain yeah yep salvitro is gonna get caught essentially in the middle of these compromises mm -hmm. and end up with none of the benefits of being under the wing of the mob and all of the headaches of being indebted to them yep well said paul this next scene we're on our way to Sunday dinner at Junior's. First, they got to stop by Vesuvio and pick up the appetizers that Janice is claiming she made. Yeah. Uh, very right. fu fu funny, funny thing there. Tony's making the case that he tells her basically that he knows that she's behind Bobby's recent push for more responsibility and says, you know, Junior's your uncle, too, if you want to help out. And Janice goes into Janice mode, complaining the Epstein bar. Uh, Barbara's coming all the way from wherever. I forget where she said Barbara, where he said Barbara's coming from. Oh, Barbara's kids are normal. I fucking love AJ's face when he overhears that Bobby Jr.'s is wetting the bed again. Yes. He he looks like Christmas came early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can't wait to bully him about it at some point. He's just logging that one away. Very funny little detail there. And Robert Eiler really is... He, he's not even like kid actor at this point. He's no. just full-blown good actor. No, he's like secret superstar. I love him. We'll talk much more about him soon. Yeah, yeah. These Sunday dinners, Janice, they're important. This family stuff, we'll find out how important that <laughs> contract is in a moment. More The older I get, the more I understand what Ma went through. Tony bites his tongue on that one. Selfish kids, ungrateful husband. Okay. You can see that those comments are bothering Tony. Yeah. Uh, they stop at Vesuvio. Janice can't say no to the free wine. Tony goes back into the kitchen to say hi to Artie. He's staying in a Motel 6. The marriage is still not not going well. That has to be really, I mean, to be in business with your ex-wife, or to be going, <laughs> that just has to be miserable, to be going through a divorce and then have to go show up at a restaurant. 
to work with your ex. In in terrible. many ways, it's actually worse than Tony's situation because at least they're living separately and right. at least are trying to have the semblance semblance of their own lives. If you're arty and you don't have power or money and you're still in that you know business situation, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's it's uh, it's really compromising. It's really tough. Yeah. And this is where the complexity of the show really gets you because Tony basically squashes the beef with Artie finally. On one level, I'm I'm like, yeah, they're friends again, more Artie, and Tony and Artie are cool. But on the other hand, it's like the further Artie is from Tony, the better for Artie, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's almost like a double-edged thing there. But Well, as Chris was saying it, I mean, these are serious themes that come up, but also the way that it's done is both serious and funny. So much of John Ventimiglia as Artie is the eyes. So how about when Tony says, hey, I could sell you 70% on the linens, and Tony is now back in his life, which means is he now again under the wing in the same way that, oh my God, Salvitro is, and Tony walks out, Artie turns back, and we just see him look up like, oh shit, I'm back in it again. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. It's just his eyes, and we're, it's so funny, but it's so real, like, oh my God, I'm back in it. Yeah. I just want to say I appreciated so much how quickly the beef is settled. And it is nice to see that, like, when you have a friend that is so close and it's like they're your brother, doesn't matter how long you've been beefing over whatever. But like, you know, it's it's just buried almost instantly. It's like, oh, OK, yeah. you know, it's it's done because they love each other. And that's Tony. Right. Tony has basically no relationships like that. So it is nice to see. It is. Artie is the most unique non-mob character person in Tony's life. Other than like his family, like Carmela, but you know what I mean. Right. He's uh, you know, Davis Catino. It is what it is. But it, at at the end of the day, the money already owes Tony. Tony's not going to feel for too long. So. Oh yeah, no, nothing. What is it, fifty grand or yeah. whatever it is? Yeah, it was like forty-seven thousand uh, dollars, something around there. Nothing to Tony. And hey, his yeah. tab was wiped out. So look at that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they go to Junior's. He's getting very impatient. Are we going to eat today or what? Bobby doesn't like these old houses. Grimy looking. Uh, funny little transition line. Why don't we start with the pasta? They all sit down to eat pasta. It all looks great. They start talking about football. Subject of football comes up. And uh, Junior makes the varsity athlete comment again. That's because you never had to make it to a varsity athlete. Uh, what the? The other day you said it. <laughs> Tony starts... He was bothered the first time. Now he's like, all right, what's going on here with this shit? Small hands. That's your problem. Uh, and uh, Jan- Janice laughs at him and Tony really lays it down. It's undermining. It's the kind of stuff I'm trying to teach my kids not to do. I don't want to hear it again. End of subject. There's a beat. We awkwardly flow back into dinner. Barbara call out one really funny throwaway oh, line. Please, please. When Tony says... Those kids at Seton Hall were seven feet tall, some of them. Oh, right. I took an academic leave anyway. Yeah. Murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah Every yeah. time <laughs> I took an academic leave anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm um, very conscious of AJ sitting right there, I exactly. think. Exactly, yeah. AJ's watching and listening. And also, AJ is still playing football. So, mm. you know, this is something that connects. Barb and Tom show up. Junior's line, I don't like tardiness. And uh, they come in, enjoy this medley of pastas Janice whipped up. Tony's... <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Again, football comes up right away. Tom mentioned something without getting into the nitty gritty of it. And then 
Junior fucking says it again. Not not uh, two minutes after Tony's first explosion. Oh, what the fuck? He throw, throws a fourth down. He's out. He 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 storms off, and you know the ghost of Livia hovers over this episode. In a Get few your coat. Ways. Get your coat. I don't have one. Well, get moving, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the ghost of Livia hovering here, this is something Livia's done at many of Tony's Sunday dinners. Is I will not eat in this house, that kind of thing. Tony taking a page right out of that book. Yeah, he storms out with AJ. June, Uncle June, was that necessary? He's a goddamn hothouse flower. That's his problem. Uh, this is... This is sad seeing Junior this way. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny. And Junior has but... a whole different affect now. Yeah. You know, uh, like when Junior, the hothouse flower comment, for example, when he used to make these um, little jokes, these little wisecracks, there was an edge to him. But now there is something else. It's something not quite germane to his personality. He is being played differently. It's a really mm. uh, beautiful performance. It is a really different Junior. Yeah, there's, there's not, it's not so much a bite as a blunted edge uh, that doesn't know where it's going. You know, Junior's language was always very precise and rigid, and he was the one who yeah. always brought out the Shakespeare. And... Yes, it is almost like he has these little phrases in his mind floating around, and he can grab at them, but it's kind of like a slot machine if he's going to pull the right one. Mm. You know, like Hot House Flower, yeah, okay, it's appropriate to the situation, basically, but it doesn't have the same oomph that it used to have. He doesn't have the zinger anymore. It's not really there. Yeah. Right. It's it's interesting, actually, that you guys bring that up because Tony is feeling the sting more than the sting is precisely being offered. Right. Um, Junior barely is in this moment. He's having trouble staying there. He's having trouble connecting, obviously. Oh, that's it, Paul. He's He's out of time. He's, you know, the, I yeah. mean, he's he's flowing through time. We don't we don't know where he is. And Tony himself, I guess, is also stuck back in this moment when Junior said something undermining when he was a young man. Yeah, he said it to the girl cousins. It was very hurtful. Yeah. And he's so I mean, Tony is such a tough figure in so many ways. And you touch on this one thing and he storms out like his mother. It's mm. it's fascinating how sensitive he is in this regard and it's it's weird it is it's funny in an odd way but it is also sad he's like screaming at this yes. old guy who doesn't get what's going on right really what's sad is this kindness and this is an, another bit on the general nature of the hypocrisy of these characters is the kindness he wants from his elders is something he himself would shit on toward his own kids like oh, oh you're yeah. coddling them you're being too nice right you know what i mean like yeah. he's He's not as he's not as as bad to AJ and Meadow as his parents were to him, but it's that same idea. It's like he wants this kindness from Junior, but he also would never ask that for his own kids. You know. Well, the complexity of yeah. these characters is so often that they want it both ways, right? Yeah. Isn't that part of it? Like the quote for this episode is "Don't you love me?" I want our listeners to note that and pay attention to what the quote will be for our next episode. Because it reflects, I think, the doubleness of these characters. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And as is the case with Alzheimer's and other dementia conditions, you can get stuck in a particular period of time previously in your life. So Junior, this whole episode seems to be living 30 years ago, right? Hence yeah. the varsity athlete comment that comes up from when Tony was a teenager. And hence, as we're going to see later in this episode, when he traverses back to Newark, where he believes his brother still is. So Junior is not with us in time. 
he is living another era of his life again with stand-ins around him. Yeah. And that comment earlier, by the way, about there being two bosses and things like that, I know it wasn't the exact power dynamic of the family, and you two are much better schooled in the um, DeMeo family history, but, I mean, Junior was always kind of second banana to his own brother uh, for his yeah. whole life, so I think even in the moment at the table in the prior meeting, two bosses Ooh. not being all it's cracked up to be, I think he's also thinking of Johnny because he was always second fiddle, no matter Ooh, whether he's playing great... fiddle to Johnny or Tony. Yeah, well said, Jordan. I like that a lot. We get a quick little touchdown scene here. Is Paulie going to let this landscaping thing go? He's visiting Aunt Mary. Poor Sal. He's had to fire his Spanish helper, take his kid out of college. Couldn't afford it no more. This is his last time coming here. So Paulie is uh, not done with this. Then we get this Johnny Sack meeting. This is a cool scene. I always love when they meet. They These two actors always do very well. They have great chemistry. James Gandolfini and Vince Curatola. And, uh, this is a cool scene. They, they're meeting in their usual spot. It looks like, or, or no, actually, they're by uh, the old Shea Stadium. This is old Shea, like, old right? Shea Stadium, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool, cool background. Which is also like and, <laughs> something instantly dating for this show. But right. that's, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Tony brings this little Carmine situation up and what happened with Lorraine and Johnny is just instantly, I got to nip this little Carmine shit in the bud. He's trying to avoid a power vacuum. Nobody knows who to pay. So nobody gets paid. Tony understands, but you know, smacking your shies around the right thing to do, that kind of thing. And Johnny throws cold water right on that. Lorraine always never enough of a body count for her. Fuck her. Let her taste her own medicine. And then he interestingly blames Tony for this shit with little Carmine for legitimizing him. Going down to Florida, man of your stature, goes down to see him. I don't know that Johnny's necessarily wrong here, but Tony pushes that aside and tries to speak for Angelo and say that, hey, what about just he's just floating us to keep the peace, a power sharing situation. And he goes into the breakdown of how this would work. It's ruled by three. No major decisions can be made without a majority of two. And John's like, what the fuck? Uh, he's just not having it yeah. at all. This is, this is, he, he's not even. the fucking UN now? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that. All right, forget I said anything. Uh, so John is absolutely opposed in every possible way to any kind of power sharing. Uh, and to be fair, I think he's actually not wrong. Uh, well, because I, you know, look mob... who look who he would be sharing power with. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the mob, as much as the mob is terrible and I shouldn't be rooting for its efficiency, it does work better with one boss. That's how the whole fucking thing goes. It's a pyramid. It's 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 a paramilitary thing. Right. And also, yeah. if you're going to have two other bosses, you wouldn't want one to be little Carmine, who's an idiot. Right. Right. And right. <laughs> Angelo, who uh, by all we've seen of him he's just a, a nice man who's been away for a very long time so yeah mm. i guess he would be the cooler head trying to prevail between the two hotheads but that's no way to run a business right exactly yeah i mean it could be another question of security and insecurity but from johnny sack's perspective he's put in the time yeah and he has put in the work yeah this is and now these two guys are going to come in and it's going to be like again like he says the un i would probably say fuck that too 
And yeah. then the auto. No, I mean, he's very justified to be being angry. Yes. Yeah. Then the Odyssey begins with Junior. Bobby goes over there to Junior's house and Tommy's just watching TV. Where's Junior? He's taking a sleep. He's taking he's taking a sleep. Where's Junior? He's taking a nap. Junior's gone, but his wallet and his watch are still there. Where could he go? Where now now we have a mystery on our hands. Cut to Junior wandering around a dilapidated street of, of Newark, New Jersey, uh, walking into a church. And uh, they're having a very <laughs> entertaining sales meeting here, this this church group. Nobody wants them Turkish taffies. I agree with Shabazz. Nobody wants them Turkish taffies. <laughs> yes, Shabazz is right. Shabazz is right. Shabazz, Shabazz is right. That's if, if you take anything, folks, from this episode. Let it be that. Shabazz that should have, is right. That should have been the title. Shabazz is right. <laughs> Not self-help. You push harder. What I tell you about profit margin. Very funny. <laughs> so this is the so this is the new scam. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. At this address. Yeah, exactly. Ah, I like that. Right? Yes. <laughs> yep, I mean good. the Italians used to have this. Yeah. Well, this is see in there. This is Wabistics. This is, you know, this is <laughs> pump, pump and dump. You're going to pump this up. You're going to want to buy it. And then you're going to be stuck with this bad candy. Uh, (laughs) That's very funny, actually. I like what he says. uh, And if they say they're not interested, you say you're not interested in keeping kids off drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Junior walks in. He's looking for Johnny. Looking for Johnny Soprano. God damn it. Hey, it's a church. You can't talk like that in here. The old man gets down off the ladder. Uh, and he's looking for Johnny, and we get the information from the old man. This used to be Italian neighborhood. A couple guys were in this place. They had those vending machines. Mm-hmm. They unceremoniously removed Junior. Hey, this is, there ain't no vending machines here no more. Go on, fool. Get out. The kids are laughing at the crazy old man that interrupted the meeting. And he's kind of shoved out in the street. Some church, by yeah, the right. way. Is this, the, this is the least church <laughs> church of all time. <laughs> They're like pushing this hard sales <laughs> tactics on these kids, and then some helpless old man wanders in, right. and they just yeah. dump them right back out. <laughs> right. Incredible commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No salvation to be had. Yep. So Junior's walking around. He walks away from the car, and that's the last we get for a moment here. Bobby's looking for Junior. Calls Janice, who's very, very busy watching television. Uh, <laughs> by the way, while Bobby is pleading with Janice for help and describing what's going on, she just felt the need to get up and throw out Bobby Jr.'s chocolate milk. <laughs> just like, the fuck, man? Uh, those poor kids. Those those poor, poor children. Well, no fucking wonder the kid is wetting the bed again. <laughs> you know, he's she's regularly traumatizing him, I'm sure. <laughs> I, as an adult, would wet the bed if Janice were living with me. So, <laughs> yeah, I get it, kid. I get it, Bobby. Uh, I like when she finally hangs up and he just looks at her and shakes his head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor Bobby. He doesn't even know what's coming next time he goes to AJ's house. Uh, well, Bobby Sr. says to Janice, sometimes I think I love Junior more than you do. Yeah. There's never a doubt in my mind that he loves Junior more than she does. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, how I don't I don't know how much Janice is able to love anything. So. Yep. But I like that she does, you know, Bobby pushes it here. You know, geez, I need your help here. Jesus Christ. He, 
you know, and lays it down and yep. so she's coming. She's gonna she's gonna come. But boy, did I like I like when Bobby pushes to get what he needs. That's good. Good Bobby. Cut to Paulie listening to Sun Tzu on tape. Oh my <laughs> god. Read by Ron Silver, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> He's got his this little grin on his face, like, yeah, yeah, this is all you know. He, <laughs> and he mentions uh Sun Tzu. What was it a couple episodes ago? Yes. <laughs> so he's been listening but you it's know a little there, there's some really good commentary going on here i know it's a funny moment but um the art of war as applied by anybody can be really horrifying right i mean yeah. we've had now generations of both politicians and businessmen usually always those two uh using the art of war tactics in their business in the business of politics in the business of economy in the business of business um that is not what that book was written for, <laughs> you know? Um, right. Yeah, it's it's a good philosophy for life, but you must reinterpret it a certain way. Someone like Polly, who doesn't have intelligence, he only has low cunning, cannot see the philosophy behind these words. He takes everything very literally, and thus we get what precipitates in this episode. Water is great. If you rub feces all over your water filter, it's going to be bad. So what you're filtering this... The art of war through matters is my point. Right. Uh, and and <laughs> wow. again, that's another another microcosm for what The Sopranos has done with all of these characters whenever they encounter any bit of high mindedness, any bit of mm -hmm. art, literature, philosophy, anything is they take from it what they can get. It's like Jack Skellington discovering Christmas, right? It's like, oh, I understand the look and the feel of this thing, but this is my version. And they all do it. And Tony's the worst one, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> Paulie pulls up on Gary LaMana doing a job in a tree. Uh, oh, boy, this scene. Uh, <laughs> tries to get Gary to come down. Are you Gary? Gary's up there. Hey, you know, uh, Salvatore used to work this neighborhood. A lot of things used to be. Maybe so, but you got to make good on his busted arm. <laughs> Gary's like, yeah, why am I going to do that? Ends up with an eat shit, pal. Okay. <laughs> Paulie, Paulie throws up his hands. He tried the nice way. And uh, more brutal <laughs> violence this hour. This is such a, I love this horror movie shot, like a slasher film yep. of Paulie's hand just Grab grabbing the shovel. It's so like yep. Michael Myers in Halloween grabbing the big butcher knife. Good call. And uh, yeah. Well, it's, Jordan, I think, like you said, what they're taking from this high-mindedness is uh, low cunning and brutality. Yeah. And it culminates, of course, not just in the beatdown and the shakedown, but literally robbing the guys. He pulls the guy's wallet out and takes yeah, yeah, the cash. Yeah, had to take the cash on hand as a down payment. Uh, smashes the guy over there with the shovel. Gary falls out of the tree. Probably, I have to imagine he broke a leg or a hip there. Or at least. It, it looks really bad. It looks very yes. bad. We don't actually hear what happened to him, but that he's a young guy too. He got really yeah. hurt coming out of that tree. Yes, correct. And then <laughs> that shot of Paulie just rolling the fucking lawnmower across the street and putting it in his trunk. Some random old lady watching this. The Sopranos is really good about that. Just putting some inept completely innocent bystander watching it's it's very funny can't get the thing closed yeah all right just drives <laughs> off tony and chris are getting prepared for a meeting in new york they need to lock down a new contractor now that jack mazarone is gone 
Tony is grooming Chris for leadership. They're both looking nice. Tony's putting on a nice suit. He tells Chris to clam up if the ship with little Carmine comes up. And uh, then this gets uh, interrupted. Bobby calls Tony. Says, Junior, we lost him. He's dead? No, he wandered off. And Tony, once he hears, you know, that Junior isn't dead, he, he's like, fuck it. He's dead to me. He's used this language before for Livia. Again, a lot of Livia callbacks here. Mm-hmm. Tony is just not having it. What did he say? He can wander off the Palisades? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can wander <laughs> off the Palisades. It's fucking dead to me, yep. Yeah, I just, I, I love the way this show trains the audience to note things. I feel like I'm doing the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, pointing at the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, he, when he says he's fucking dead to me, I was like, that's what you said about your mom. That's what you said about your mom. Yep. You know, and uh, if, if, if some of the other references to Livia hadn't gotten us here that's also guiding us through this st- i love that mm. janice gets to juniors i called you an hour ago where you been i was picking up your daughter he's about to leave bobby doesn't want to be left with her he asks if he can go with him <laughs> I feel <laughs> the last that. thing they want us to be yeah left at you but at least he's got cable now last time bobby had was left here he doesn't have cable remember that <laughs> <laughs> at least he's got cable to watch one hour of television. Bobby's such a good dad. I like this. Bobby, what, you know, one hour of television, then you do your homework, and you lay off the Snapple. Janice is going to be laying down upstairs, so, so at least the kids get to be without her for a little while. Bobby's going out. Bobby's going out looking for Junior. I think the initial uh, uh, ultimatum whatever that Bobby Junior offered was like, well, can we stay here and she goes with you? So really anything. <laughs> anything to not be with her. These poor kids. Yeah, yeah. And he'll pay for that later, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a sad thing, too, is he he shot his shot, and she's going to get back at him at some point. Yeah, so are they, uh, I, I guess we can glean, uh, they're trying to control his weight. Is that what it is? Is that why she poured out his chocolate milk and lay off the Snapple? Is that the thing? Probably, yeah, that would be my okay. guess. Okay, right. Uh, Which is also sad, but okay. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. There are ways to do that without taking something out of the fucking kid's hand. I uh, yeah, uh, no, I didn't like that. No. What one of the what this is a personal story. I'm kind of surprised I'm willing to share this on the podcast, but uh an older relative in my family back in a period of time when I was concerned about my weight actually removed a second helping of pasta that I took from in front of me and got rid of it. Mm. And I never forgot that. It felt fucking terrible. So of, I really feel for yeah. No, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't do that. If the if the boy has already made the chocolate milk, you can let him drink it and then have a conversation later. You would not take it from yeah. him. You would not actually yeah, take yeah. it from him. That's not not yeah. okay. There are ways to do this. Either of these parental figures are going to lecture this kid on controlling his weight. Well, that's, that, that's well, the other that, thing. That too. <laughs> at, least, too much sense either. at least lay off the Snapple is tamer and it is yeah. uh, actionable because it's like, hey, you know there's Snapple here, don't drink it. That is better than, let me take the Snapple from you and pour it down the sink, you fat pig. Right, yes, you know, exactly. Right. Cut to the meeting in New York. Their subject has drifted onto Carmine, and Johnny's a little sentimental here. We used to be really close, like brothers. And then Chris uh, immediately and without hesitation, uh, despite Tony Ugh. doing the throat clearing, trying to get him to pass bread, Felt the need to offer some <laughs> advice. He just was so certain, like, no, I know what Tony told me, but no, this is a good idea. And he suggests that, you know, why don't you let him keep Lorraine and you take a bigger piece of his Florida shit. And I love Johnny's response to him. It's such a great, like, 
boss thing to say to uh, an underling gangster, which is, if I wanted to worry about Florida, I'd move to fucking Miami. And it wasn't long ago you used to wait in the car. As far as I'm concerned, you should still be there. And he stands up. Johnny was just fucked. It. He was just everybody's got a goddamn opinion. Yeah. Gives Tony a glare and storms out. <laughs> I love Vito grabbing some bread. I didn't say nothing. Tom. Right. Actually, <laughs> when Tony asked for the bread and Chris didn't pass it, Vito didn't pass him the bread. And Tony, Tony doesn't take any. <laughs> right. <laughs> so great. <laughs> and Tony is absolutely livid in the car. What the fuck did I sell you? Now I got to unfuck what you just fucked. I got to do something nice for Johnny. Like what? What the fuck can I do? Chris is like, yeah, I know. I, you know, he's very obviously he knows he fucked up. And Tony's explaining the shit between him and little Carmine is bad, but it could work to our advantage. They fight. We pick up any crumbs from the fallout. Tony says, that most likely it'll be Johnny, but who knows? So keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Yes, most likely Johnny will win, but you never know with a thing like this, so we have to play it safe. Good advice. Tony is being a good leader here. Uh, interesting. I like I like these moments where Tony has to school Chris and Chris fucks up. It was a fun, fun little beat in this episode. Right. And it does plant the seed of that they will need to give John something. Some kind of maybe yes, a Tony little, has to some maybe a little favor at the end of the episode that will tie this all up. <laughs> Interesting little touchdown on Adriana here. Uh, she is explaining to the FBI agent how Chris is actually related to Tony. That it's not calls him calls him his nephew, but he's not actually a nephew. Dicky Moltisanti is Carmela's cousin. Also, Christopher's mother is related to the Blendettos distantly. But because Tony and Dickie were, you know, had a similar relationship to Chris and Tony, yes. he calls him his nephew. This, this is, is a very, David, atta- she says, it's, this is David yeah. Chase answering a fan question in the script. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How is he his nephew? What? But to be fair to David Chase, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's fine that he took the time to lay this out and give us a little touchdown on Adriana. But this is a very Italian thing. Uncle yeah. whoever, cousin whoever, and you're not actually related. It's it's just so that's a thing. That's a thing that happens in, in Italian, especially bigger Italian families where there's sure. a lot of distant cousins like that. The FBI characters are so smart. I'm surprised they didn't figure this out on their own. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, interesting little button at the end, though. Uh, Adriana asks, how long am I going to have to keep doing this? trying to look for some kind of light at the end of this tunnel. And she does not get good news. Major Rico cases take years. She references some guy in New York whose Rico case took seven years. So the, that can't make Adriana feel too good about how this is going to go. So like with Tony B, we're just getting a brief touchdown on this this continuing thread. We're not diving into it in this episode, but we're we're checking in on it. Yes, exactly. This next scene, I wrote Junior and Newark have both seen better days. Holy mm-hmm. cow. This, That's, this is such... That is the parallel, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Junior is looking really terrible here. They they shot this on a very overcast day in a very dilapidated part of town and sits down and has a conversation with uh, a, a homeless woman, a vagrant. It's It's funny. There's some funny lines here. Like the, the individual yeah. lines are very humorous, but these two are just not on 
this, they're not on planet Earth and they're conversing with each other. And worse, she's more with it than he is. Right. She at least yes. knows where she wants to go and how she might get there. He has no clue. Did we date? Did we make it? What the what the fuck? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. That that it not only is just two people with uh diminished mental capacity, but the fact that Junior is more out of it than this homeless woman. I thought it was funny and demeaning that she wanted to show him her foot that the taxi cab ran over. I know how much Junior hates people's feet. Oh, yeah. Good pick. Good pickup. Good pickup. Yep. 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 So that happens. Yeah. Again, the weird desperation with the sex act and give me a ride by the shelter, but also something maybe kind of predatory, as Jordan said, like she knows where she wants to go and how she might get there. Whereas Junior realizes again that he has a car because of the keys in his hand. Um, Yeah. As you guys said, very desperate moment in the city of newark and in junior's mindset yeah can i ask a weird can i ask a weird question maybe i you know this is uh, not a direction we want to take the podcast but uh, let's see where this goes what does anyone know what a half and half is is that some kind of street lingo is that the sex worker lingo like what is that well if you'll (laughs) if you'll indulge me i will in fact use urban dictionary and i will look up what a half and half is because i do not know Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe our imaginations are better than the reality. But the... <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, so uh, this is real. Okay, so Urban, Dic- Urban Dictionary sometimes has terrible definitions for things. This one they gave uh, really succinctly. A half and half is a service that is offered and performed by a prostitute. One half is oral sex. The other half is vaginal sex. So that's that's the half and half. You get both. Meaning, okay. I suppose they start with oral sex, it becomes vaginal sex, and that is it. Well, There's fucking compromises in life. <laughs> Junior needs his car. He goes wandering. She, nah, she waves him off. And uh, more wandering at night. This is becoming, this is going from sad to dangerous. He falls. He hurts himself. He has no idea where he is. He's not on Earth, let alone Newark. Uh, and the cops find him. Thankfully, the cops pull up because who knows what, where the hell he would have ended up if the cops had interceded at some point. He gives them a name. They laugh when he says Corrado Soprano. At least he was able to remember that. Uh, they want some kind of ID. You're not in trouble or anything. These cops have a gentle touch. Uh, fuck you, copper. I know my rights. <laughs> that's a, that's another line out of time, I suppose. <laughs> the calling calling copper. That's like yeah. old old timey gangster yeah. talk, right? That's... He's just on another planet. Yeah. And they take him home and they get his identity confirmed. June, we've been worried sick. Let me see his ID. It's you. I Here's really I appreciate yeah. the look on their face when they realize, oh, this really is Junior Soprano. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's him. Wow. Uh, that's a great story for their wives when they get home. They're like, holy shit, you won't believe who I had in my car tonight. <laughs> Junior with his moldy old sweaters. He's a gangster. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like the moment when Bobby's daughter laughs when Junior tells the cops, go shit in your hat. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cute little scene. <laughs> June, stop it, Majana says. They cops leave. He gets up. Where are you going? I have to use the facilities. Bobby, go with him. And he shouts back, I can piss by myself. You go out for some exercise. People give you the goddamn third degree. 
Hmm. Oof. Janice goes over to Tony. Tony's had a couple beers in at this point. Not great timing. Me may have Alzheimer's. She's trying to get Tony to take this seriously. He's not having it. He's blowing her off. He's dead to me. The same thing he does. Artie comes home with some delicious food. <laughs> it's still hot. Janice, Artie, we're in the middle of a family meeting. I'm not even here. <laughs> <laughs> this is like his introduction. like what his first day living with Tony. <laughs> but you know That's what? Really to his credit. He knows this family. He knows Janice. He knows he's not getting involved. Great. Good. All the better. Let him enjoy his food in peace, which, of course, he doesn't get to. But Tony does not care. You reap what you sow. What a fucking hypocrite. Good Lord. I never want to hear Tony say reap what you sow ever in life. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's That's a whole rabbit hole to go down as far as karmic justice coming Reap back what you so tony would be dead <laughs> five times over yeah he always he was a lucky fuck yeah <laughs> janice says you ever think there's a reason you're living here by yourself without your family tony has to give the only logical response here even though janice was right uh he has to say you're gonna give me advice on marriage a lot of things I could say right now that I'm not going to say. Fuck it. Say it. Who gives a fuck? Tony's a couple beers in. This is not going well. <laughs> and uh, this devolves very quickly. Tony has had enough. This becomes, hey, Tony, you have 20 seconds to say the worst possible things you can say to Janice. What have you got? Yeah. And it turns out it's pretty <laughs> bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Free spirit, Janice. Rebel without a cause. Uh, you left me here with our head case of a mother while you're out dropping acid and blowing roadies. Roadies! <laughs> Bobby's reaction, roadies! <laughs> oh, you, oh, you don't want to know. Tony, you tell him that's not true. <laughs> I'm sure it very well is true. You see the shirk, that's you. You either shirk your duties or you run away. Uh, poor Janice or the Epstein Bar. Poor Janice. Buff fun ghoul. It gets physical. She goes after him. Artie tries to break it up, gets an elbow right in the eye. Welcome home, Artie. This is your new domicile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his, his, his worried look over his sautéed mushrooms uh, proved more uh, more valid than he, he even realized. Yep. Even the one eye at the end, he's still doing great work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're going to do to him what you do to all the others. You gonna, you go ahead so you can do to him what she did to daddy. Oof. <sighs> And screams, hits him, and runs out crying. Yeah, it's... Old wounds. Oh, my God. Old resentments. Just ripping Old, them open. Yeah. Insecurities. Yeah. I was 16 when you left me with our head case of a mother. Yeah. Who you all of a sudden relate to so fucking well. Oof. All of this is coming up, coming out. And it obviously, it relates to everything with Junior and their respective insecurities. It's it's great. It's brutal. And it's really funny. And it's yeah. so real. Because we have all yes. been in a fight with somebody where... Just the right thing is said or the wrong thing is said, and suddenly everything comes out of you perfectly, and you realize you've been holding it as a package, a connected package just to drop Mm. at any point because your whole life you're carrying it just under the surface, and there it is. And her reaction, of course, she's so hurt, uh, and I have to say it to his defense, much of that is true, right? I think a lot of it is true, and that's why it hurts so bad. It's the things you don't say. Right. Mm. Yep. yep. 
I mean, uh, Janice and Barb really did leave Tony to bear the the brunt of Livia. Yeah. And of course that weighs on him. Of course that's a resentment he's going to have. And as annoying as Janice is, Tony's dislike of Janice is deeper than just she's annoying. Right. And there's a reason. And at the very least, Barb doesn't drop this kind of drama and bullshit on Tony's lap all the time. At least Barb went off and did her own thing and stayed there. Janice is just a constant drain on Tony his emotions, his well-being, sticking Bobby on him. And so when she gets demanding, he's just had enough. Yeah. He, 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 won't, he won't have it. Also, that line, do to him what she did to daddy is, that's a fucking atom bomb, right? Because not, yeah. not only does it bring up their shared hurt of them knowing what really went on in their house, but that it kind of ruins all of Janice's second chances from this point on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like she is always the toxic thing that's coming in and ruining things. It's you. It's you, Janice. That thing that you wonder, you probably stay up late at night wondering, am I the thing that is ruining my life? Yeah, you are. Tony thinks so. The guy that probably knows you the best. Yes, it's you. Oh, a horrible thing to say to her, really. But sadly, a lot of that is probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Completely cuts just lobs Bobby's nuts off with a machete with this next line. You want more responsibility? Start by controlling your wife. Oh, man. Poor Bobby. And he uh, he walks off. Uh, uh, props to restraint from Bobby, too, by the way, because that's another man would have hit him, but it's Tony, you know. Cut to Tony being a mediator, (laughs) which is very funny that he's mediating a violent conflict considering he just basically started one of his own. Uh, But Feech and Paulie are going back and forth. I fucking had to pause. I was laughing so hard when Paulie said, he jumped out the tree and come at me with a chainsaw. I'm allowed to defend myself. (laughs) Tony, Tony wants some kind of retroactive taste. He uh, decides that he's going to split the area. East of Dyer belongs to Gary and West belongs to Sal. Tony names a number, 500. I already told him 12. There's fucking compromises in life, Paulie. And then Tony comes up with the number 11, uh, 1,000 for for pain and suffering. And he wants his taste retroactive because this is the first time hearing of any of this. Feech is not happy with this decision. His nephew's it's a new venture. He's barely off the ground. He'll do your long tone free of charge. Tony pours himself a drink and says, remind me to talk to you about that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a piece of shit Paulie Walnuts is, if we didn't know already. He goes to Sal and says, I got you 500. <laughs> yeah. Meaning he just he just pocketed 500 bucks. Yep. Like that's a, oh, just God. Yep. <laughs> unbelievable uh and you get to keep you get to keep uh east of dyer or whatever and sounds like that's half that's like half my area and well he's like could have been nothing lucky you know me oh and you're gonna have to <laughs> he, he informs sal that there's gonna be a few uh, uh, uh lawn cuts that he's gonna have to uh just do you know as a favor to some friends of ours this is and, just uh, disgusting <laughs> it's Isn't this worst uh, as Paul brought up at the beginning of the episode, like uh, a really good example of like uh, comedy and tragedy come together, right? This is so funny because it is so horrible. Vitro Sal, he's in a much worse position than he ever was before, right? I mean, mm. he's got half of his area. He owes points to Polly, 
uh, for even negotiating on his behalf in the first place. Uh, you know, he's badly injured. He's getting 500 bucks. Nothing, nothing. He gets, yeah. he's gotten nothing for Paulie's help. Right. He was better off with just the broken arm. Right. Honestly. Yeah, true. And, and, a, and even a dick grab. Now they got his dick in a thimble. I mean, like, <laughs> it, you know, and like something else, this storyline is really like from his point of view. In a way, at the end, we see that big zoom out shot of him doing on the comp Johnny Sachs massive lawn yeah. <laughs> with with a broken arm. And this is not a figure. Again, it's not to, to excuse any of the other things that the gangsters do, but the titlemans the, that ran the motel in season one, Davy Scatino in season two, they got themselves into trouble. This guy's trouble began with the mob and now it is continuing under the. Uh, framework of the mob. Yeah. Just sucking him dry. Yep. Again, crumbs from the fallout. Tony runs into a doctor at the golf course. This doctor was one of Olivia's doctors. Explains the infarcts, the basically many strokes that Junior's having and how the trauma, the the doctor essentially doesn't want to get into, Tony says, tells him, you know, I haven't really, we don't really talk much anymore. The doctor's like, I don't mean to get in the middle of a family squabble, but he explains to Tony that Junior says stuff over and over, and you'll find he gets uh, impatient or irritable and <clears throat> will repeat the same thing over and over again. <clears throat> so he gives Tony a little bit more context on this, and Tony doesn't give the doctor much, but you can see he's processing this information. Uh, and then we cut to what we just talked about, Vitro cutting Johnny Sachs' enormous lawn this is not like a simple little job. Like my lawn takes me, and I have a much smaller house than Johnny Sack. Cutting my grass takes me at least 45 minutes. So this is a huge chunk of huge chunk of his day that he has to do. And Lord knows what else they're gonna have this guy Sal doing. <laughs> but uh this is Tony's favor to Johnny to smooth over Christopher's mistake and at the expense of this guy who got fucked every which way possible in this episode. Really mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, and then the last scene. This scene is beautiful. Uh, Tony shows up at Junior's. He's got some fish. He pours them both a glass of wine. Junior's watching a nature show about prairie dogs. And I heard you had a problem the other night. What problem? Tony lets it go. They talk about memory, and that you have problems with memory. And Junior says, "There's plenty I'd like to forget." Tony says, "You and me both." Really sad stuff. Tony sees the Lamana bakery bag. Feach was here. Another red flag. Tony doesn't like that Feach and Junior are hanging out. He's here to pay his respects. I hear you. What's this? I hear you ruled against Feach. So Tony, he's he, Feach is here griping the Junior. A couple lines about the prairie dogs. What else did Feach say? I got a new top on his convertible. Junior says, I'm the boss of this family, despite any arrangements. Sure. And then Tony drops the line we pulled our quote from and the last line of the episode, which is, uh, you know, something to the effect of, let's say you do forget what you say and you repeat shit over and over. Why has it got to be something mean? Why can't you repeat something nice? And then he just gives this heartbreaking delivery of this line. Don't you love me? And Junior is watching the television and we get that soft focus uh, shot that Paul was talking about the mirror during the meeting and Tony goes out of focus and we're on junior 
cut to the front of him. Junior's really just on the verge of tears. He takes a deep breath, looks away, and we end the episode. Really somber, sad, heartbreaking note. Got me emotional even just talking about it. Mm. Uh, and there's actually, an, I think it was after James Gandolfini died, I think there's a clip of Dominic Cianese reflecting on the show, talking about this scene, and it even made him cry. Uh, he couldn't even get the words out. It's really, so this is powerful stuff. Um, and that's it. That's Where's Johnny. Uh, an interesting note before we talk about this last scene and the, sh- the episode as a whole and close out, uh, this might be the first episode, correct me fans if I'm wrong, this might be the first episode of the show with no Carmilla. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, I believe it's the only one. And yeah, so uh that that was interesting. It added in, it made it an interesting differentiation. But anyway, final thoughts on this last scene with Junior, where we leave this episode and uh on the whole episode proper. Well, the the scene itself is uh so heartbreaking. I did want to note that um we are sharing the scene with animals once again. They're on the television. I would also bring up that these are uh, Western animals. So we're uh, taking this back to uh, the most simple place for Tony, right? Um, horses, animals, the American West. Uh, there's there's that kind of imagery going on here, even mm. if it's playing on the cable television. And I think he's able to ask a more vulnerable question in this moment, something I don't think he would ever be able to ask otherwise um, if Junior was not in this diminished state, if this wasn't a safe place where he felt he could ask the fact that doesn't that junior doesn't answer or won't answer is a quintessential sopranos um let's say junior had his full faculties this would be too difficult a conversation to have or he would answer it very shallowly what what the fuck you talk about yeah of course i love you whatever right but um instead even diminished faculties junior feels the emotional weight of the moment and i, I think almost cries because there is it's too complicated to say yes and too complicated to say no and to even talk about it. It's actually silence is the only response that that is appropriate or feels appropriate. And uh, we have to assume if we were to extrapolate the scene that Tony's going to let this go too, and just let it kind of sit there um, really painful. And uh, you know, it's, it's hard to watch someone and, and, Dominic Chinese, plays it so well. It's hard to watch someone slipping away and to know it and to be aware that they're slipping. I think that is worse. My grandmother, my father's uh, mother, she, uh, you know, at the towards the end of her life, she uh, missed a step onto a curb. Uh, someone had given her a ride. She fell backwards. She hit her head. Uh, and that was basically the end of my grandmother's life, because from that point on, much like Junior with his traumatic brain injury kind of triggering his Alzheimer's dementia, um, she was never the same after that. She basically just every time you saw her, there was less of her there. Uh, now, a nice thing happened where her particular kind of dementia kind of gave her a kind of permanent fixed state of euphoria. But she was no really longer herself after she hit her head on that uh, sidewalk. And um Earlier in that healing process, she was aware of going away from herself, of being able to recall less and that she had less of her personality. And she would even she would even say things like, I don't I don't feel like myself. I don't understand. But a few months on from that, she didn't even say those self-reflective things anymore. She was just living in the new euphoria dream, uh, which became the Mm -hmm. end of her life within the next year and a half. 
Uh, Junior's now in that state now where he's diminished, but he knows he's diminished. It's it's harder to watch. Uh, and he's like, I'm slipping. What can I hang on to? And then you ask a really difficult question. Do you love me? I He can't even answer that. Um, mm. So I think that's that's part of it. Uh, just in terms of the full episode, we did title it Self-Help. Uh, this is a title that came from me. Uh, we have the Sun Tzu. We have Tony Robbins at one point in the episode as well. Famous right. self-help guru. Um, I think the missed message that is coming across through all these, whether it's Tony Robbins on television, Sun Tzu, is that self-help is is valuable, but you have to like put work into yourself to get something out of it. And ultimately, you're trying to do self-help because you want to improve your relationships with other people where businessmen, lawyers, politicians, et cetera, where they use it, they use it to exploit it. They're not trying to improve their relations with anybody else. They're just trying to get more for themselves which is all the mob is ever really interested in. So it's a really shallow version of trying to help yourself. It is, in fact, no different than Junior trying to help himself by going off on his fever dream journey to go look for his missing brother. You know, you need a guide. You need a Melfi. You need some guidance to self-help yourself. Self-help is going to be kind of a myth unless there's authentic work, and it's with the intention of improving interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. Well said. This episode has no Carmela in it, um, and uh, Melfi hasn't been around for a bit. Tony is lacking this particular direction in terms of these relationships, particularly with respect to women, and I think a certain kind of warmth and love, indeed, which is so important. Uh, the sad thing, among the many sad things about the ending that we've been discussing, is that I think these guys need to connect with something, with other people, with each other, and... They're stuck in their own frustration and their self-absorption. Junior, of course, in this uh, growing uh, diminishment of his mind, all that. And that line, I mean, among many reasons that I chose it as our pull quote, don't you love me, is that, as Jordan mentioned, only in this state could we do this conversation. Tony also could not have really said that, I don't think, to his mother, mm. but he wants to. And I think he wants to understand why couldn't this woman love me? And so many people in this position think that it's them, that they are the problem. So this is a difficult question that even with Tony's mother dead and gone, he's going to continue to ask. And he'll ask it after Junior's gone, um, if and when Junior passes away. And as Jordan mentioned, Junior is already Junior is already slipping from us. So again, and I'm fascinated by this episode, as I mentioned at the beginning, in any other show, the fireworks of the war in New York would be the key. But instead, it's a middle-aged gangster and a geriatric gangster being sad, isolated, lonely, and frustrated that provides the dramatic oomph. It's mm. fascinating. It's unexpected. It's surprising. Again, the show at its tragic comic best, it's so well done. Agreed on all fronts. It's a tough watch. And it's really astounding and profound that... Uh, at his heart, a sociopath though he may be, despite all his flaws, uh, Tony is really a guy who wants to feel loved <laughs> and can't, doesn't feel it, feels disconnected. It's, uh, it's very well acted, very well written. This was a great episode. Season five is just cracking them out here. I can't wait for the next one. Uh, all happy families and is, is is a sleeper favorite of mine from the season so uh that's where's johnny everybody thank you very much for listening and your continued support 
a lot of fun stuff coming your way, everybody. Thank you for the, we've gotten a little bit of an uptick in emails the last week. Thank you all for listening. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time for All Happy Families. Go shit in your hat.